Good morning, New Life. We just want to welcome you. Um, We are so happy to get to see your faces every Sunday morning. If you are joining us online, thank you for getting up to join us in worship and with the message this morning. Um, If you are new to New Life, whether you are online or in person or on the patio, we want to meet you. So if you're here today, come see us at one of the connection counters, and we have a little gift that we like to give you. We can say hi. We can answer any questions you have about anything that you hear today and upcoming activities and events, um, and just get you plugged in. So please come and find us if you are new. Um, Before we do worship, we are going to stand together and read some scripture. So I'll invite you all to stand up with me as we read together. We are going to be reading from Psalm 95. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him. For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to him, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land too. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. God, we just thank you um, that you love us, you care for us, um, you give us your word, and scriptures like Psalm 95 just feel um, like a hug. It feels like you just telling us that you care for us, and we join together to be able to worship you, and I just pray that you prepare our hearts this morning, that we are able to have this very intentional time to focus on who you are, on our relationship with you, and how much we love you, and how thankful we are for your care and your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray.
never gonna let, never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. been longing that's been unfulfilled. God, you are the lifter of our heads and the lifter of our hearts. God, I pray this morning, would you touch each heart in this space? And would you strengthen our hearts, God? Because sometimes we are weak and sometimes we lose sight. But you strengthen us, God. Those who wait on you, Jesus, their strength shall be renewed. And so God, we remind our hearts of your faithfulness and that you are good and that never changes. So let's sing this out one more time. You're good. Sing, you are good, good. over us. It's not going to be up on the screen, but just let these words wash over you this morning. Psalm 27, verse 14. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You know, a lot of life, there's some form of waiting. And in this room, there's probably a lot of us find our space of waiting. Probably each and every one of us are waiting 
for something, waiting on the Lord for something. And you're in good company because scripture is filled with stories of men and women waiting on the Lord for either deliverance, a promise, whatever it may be. And the thing about waiting is it can either become a place of fading or it becomes a place of being strengthened. And here's something that I think will help shape how we experience waiting, is if I trust God's heart, I can trust His hand. If I trust God's heart, I can trust His hand because this is what happens. If I see God as somebody who loves me and who has good things for me and wants the best for me, then waiting becomes a place where I am strengthened where I know that God is working behind the scenes, formulating something so beautiful beyond my comprehension, and He's good. See, if I see God as somebody who is angry and upset and a taskmaster, then I will interpret waiting as God withholding from me, like He's demanding something from me before He moves. So this morning, I wanna invite us into that former space, that if you find yourself in a place of waiting this morning, Man, we don't know the timing of God, but we can trust that it's good. And you know what? He's the reward. He's the reward. No matter when it comes, see, waiting can be a place of just, it's not merely a place to just endure, it's a place to to thrive and to be strengthened in the Lord. So as we sing this next song, let's declare the faithfulness of God together. And you know what? Sometimes that means reaching down through disappointment and struggle and all that to declare over our souls who God is. And you know what? Maybe this morning we need to lay some things down at the altar. Man, God, I've been seeing you this way and I I feel like you've been withholding from me. Man, I'm so sorry, God, I repent. Help me to see that you are good and you are a God who is always faithful and always faithful to his promises. Amen. So let's worship and can we just lift up a a, a fragrance of praise to the Lord, songs of praise to the Lord that is minister and blessed to his heart because he's a good God and he loves each and every one of you this morning, amen? So let's worship, let's declare his faithfulness. Just what you said. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. And let my heart learn when you speak a word, it will come to pass. Great is your faithfulness to me. Setting same, I will praise your name. Great is your faithfulness to me. 
Though the earth may pass away, your word remains the same. Your history can prove there's nothing you can do. You're faithful and true. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. And let my heart learn when you speak a word, it will come to pass. Great is your faithfulness to me, I believe. Great is your faithfulness.
give God some praise this morning. Hallelujah. He is good. He is faithful. Like many of you, over the last several hours, my eyes were glued to the scenes that we saw coming out of Israel and the Middle East. And I think one of the questions I often ask myself in this situation is, okay, you have people with various opinions and you have politicians trying to make decisions and you have various countries trying to do what's best. But, but my question for us is, what do we do as the people of God? Like, how do we respond? And my mind was taken to the Western Wall, which I had the privilege of being with a group of people several years ago and going to the Western Wall, or sometimes referred to as the Wailing Wall. And I was reminded that the focus of the prayers in that space is for shalom or peace, that God would usher in the peace that only God can provide. And I think we have some pictures maybe of, of some of us that are there and laying hands and putting our prayers in the cracks of that wall, which generations down throughout history have done. And so I was reminded that as the people of God, we are a priesthood of believers. When we stand in the gap and we intercede and we pray and we lament and we cry out to God, because he's the only one that can bring in the type of peace that we actually desire and seek. And so we stand in the gap and we pray for Israel and we stand in the gap and we pray for the Palestinian territories that are caught in the shrapnel of everything going on. And we pray against the evil of terrorism that's taken place. And somehow, and I'm not saying this is easy, we pray for our enemies, because God has called us to. And we find ourselves as this priesthood of believers and we weep and we ache. And we look at the world and say, this is not what God had in mind. And we cast our burdens on him. So that's what I invite us to do this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you. God, we long for peace and not a political peace or a manufactured peace. We long for your kingdom to be ushered into this world in its fullness so that there would actually be a, a full peace that only you can provide, a shalom that only you can provide. And so God, we stand here today in the gap as intercessors, as a priesthood of believers. And we lift up the people of Israel and we lift up the people of the Palestinian territories, God. And God, we pray for safety and care and we pray for your church in that area of the world to, to raise up and be just a, a a healing balm or salve to those who are being injured, for those who are scared. God, we pray, we pray against evil and terrorism in this world, God. It has no place in your creation. And we pray that by the power of the Spirit, you would push back evil in this world, God. God, we even pray for our enemies, God, that somehow your gospel would flood their lives that they would see your truth. Their lives would be transformed. 
So God, we, we come to you as those you have called to be peacemakers. And we pray that our language and our voice and our prayers would be distinctly different. God, we lament and we get frustrated and we bring our doubts and we bring our anger before you. But God, we also are reminded that we are peacemakers. And we pray for your peace, the one, the type of peace that surpasses all understanding to be ushered in to this world. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen, amen. Maybe see it. I'd like to invite our ushers forward. We're going to continue in our worship. We're going to continue giving thanks to God um, in this way. So um, thank you to those of you who give. I just wanted to remind you a little bit that um, New Life is in the process of transitioning all of our online giving. So if you have already switched over, thank you so much. It's truly helping us be the kingdom of God and do the things that Jesus wants us to do here on the Central Coast and beyond. And also, I just want to remind you, um, as we're we're praying for Israel and we pray for the things that are happening in our world. Um, a portion every week of our offering goes to global missions. So when you do give to the church here at New Life, you give to those types of things all around the world. So it doesn't just go here, it goes all around the world. And as, as we know, God always magnifies the impact of the ways that we give to him. We offer to him what we have and he's the one who multiplies it and does the miraculous. And so I also wanted to remind you of a couple of ways that you can be a contributor here at New Life without necessarily giving financially. We have a couple of opportunities. First, uh, October is Pastor Appreciation Month. So if you would love to just encourage some of our pastors, we would love to just know what the Lord has been doing in your life. It would be such an encouragement to us to get a card that says like, hey, here's how this ministry has touched my life or here's how this word touched my life so that we would uh, be encouraged and equipped and edified knowing that God is at work amongst our people. Um, so you can drop off cards at any of the Connection Centrals. You can also drop them by the office throughout the week. But um, as a pastor here, I, it is such a great encouragement just to be reminded that God is using our church and God is using our leadership. So we would love for you to just appreciate all the different pastors on staff. Second opportunity that you can be a contributor here at New Life is Fall Fest. I know you guys, it is fall and it is so exciting. Um, many of our families that we have met with young kids, um, the first time they ever set foot on our campus was at Fall Fest. So it truly is a great outreach. It might not be like the next weekend everybody's here, but when God, we've seen that when, when things happen in people's life and they start searching for God, they go to the place that they remembered that they felt safe and they felt welcomed at Fall Fest. So we would love for you to participate. Um, even if you can't actually physically be there on that night, reminder, it's Sunday this year. Sunday, remember that. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Um, so even if you can't be there that night, there are definitely so many great ways that you can be a contributor. Um, you can help us by sugaring up our community um, effectively by either donating candy or you can donate a cake um, to our cakewalk. A cakewalk is always like one of the biggest hits every year. Um, people get to walk away with a whole cake. You can home bake it or you can just, you know, go to Vaughn's and pick up a cake and donate that too. Um, all those great ways are ways that you can be involved in God, um, just spreading his love 
love throughout our community. So we would love for you to be involved with that. And also at New Life, um, it is truly our heart that you would just take the next step in front of you, your best next step. And for some of you, if you have never really connected with New Life beyond just coming and attending, maybe you sit in the back and you leave early and you don't say hi to anybody, that's fine for a season. Um, But we would love to get to know you better. And today, right after our 11 o'clock service, we have pizza with the pastor. So you can just meet some of our staff. You can meet other newish people to New Life. Hopefully meet a few a few people that you can connect with. You can learn about how you can get more involved here, what we're all about, and plus there's pizza. Um, so that is today. Also, perhaps maybe your best next step is a season of healing. And New Life would love to be able to be a part of your healing journey. We have support groups that meet um, all throughout the month. There's more information in your bulletin. Um, but we would just love to be help you take that next best step, finding a support group or something like that. We have our blended families group is starting back up this week. Um, and also we have our divorce care is doing a surviving the holidays class coming up. So check out the more information on that and your bulletin. Um, New Life would just be honored to help you in your healing journey and find just support for some of the things that that we all are dealing with and all going through. So pray about that. See if that's something that the Lord wants you to take a step in. And I would just like everybody just to take a breath because I know that God is going to speak today and we want to have um, the soil of our heart ready to receive what he has for us. So let's just prepare our hearts. In the beginning, these words begin a grand narrative that spans creation, trials, and triumphs, revealing the intricate relationship between humanity and its creator. As Christians, we find our place within this narrative. In the rich tapestry of the Old Testament, we uncover the origins of our faith, the foundation on which Christianity stands. We're connected to the lineage of Abraham, guided by the wisdom of the prophets, and ultimately led to the fulfillment of God's promises in the New Testament. The Old Testament teaches us about obedience, faith, and redemption, inviting us to participate in a story that echoes through time, shaping our identity and purpose in the divine story of salvation. As we bear witness to what the Lord has done, may we remember that we've been adopted into this family. This is our story. Well, good morning, New Life. And I wanted to make you aware, again, that if you um, are looking for resources during this series, we are constantly updating every single week new resources that you can check out through the Bible Project, as well as other resources that we have. And, and today, I wanted to turn your attention to uh, something that we made available um, on, our, on our website. It's a PDF. It's kind of an overview of the Old Testament. Um, it's great. There's a video. There's about a 12-minute video that goes along with it. Um, you, that 
uh, QR code will lead you to that, and you can have a PDF version of that. But if you're like a hard copy person, we made about 100 of these um, that if you would want to, uh, maybe sometimes I even know some people that, that love to, to use like colored pencils and stuff, and just as you would go through this and color that or, or work through it with your kids or any number of ways that you would want to utilize it. Um, all that I ask is, if you're going to grab one, don't let it end up on the bottom of your, uh, you know, your floorboard in your car. Um, take it, use it, put it somewhere where you can refer back to it, where you can actually take notes and, and kind of go back uh, again and again uh, to the video and begin to solidify the story of the Old Testament in your heart and mind. Also, um, if, you, uh, if you are, uh, again, like me, an introvert today, take a deep breath. I'm not going to make you talk to anybody. So, you know, it's, it's really good. Like, I know you're coming in nervous now every time, every time that you gather together. But I do want to remind us of something. When we do those types of things here at New Life and when we uh, open up our service by reciting a creed or we read scripture out loud together, our, our point is not simply to go through religious motions. Our point is to allow, put ourselves in a position where the Holy Spirit can form us further into the image of Jesus. So when we gather together and when we do these things that are physical, when we baptize and when we uh, break bread together, what we're hoping that takes place is that we are more further formed into the image of Jesus because all week long you are formed by the things of this world. You are formed by your habits. You are formed by looking at your phone. You're formed by shopping. You're formed by all kinds of different things that you participate in and that I participate in uh, just simply by existing on the Central Coast. And so what we want to do when we gather in spaces like this is to reform us as the people of God. So when it's really easy to kind of walk in the store and, and I've, I've done it, you've done it, and you're like, hey, you know what, I don't want to talk to anybody, so I'm going to pretend like I'm on my phone, all right? Um, and, and, and so that I can just get in and get out. Because when you're in a small town, you can't go almost anywhere and not see someone you know. And, and, so, and so that's how we kind of think is like, how do I just go through the day and not have to maybe talk? talk to anybody or be interrupted from my schedule, then we gather in spaces like this and we're reminded as the people of God, as the body of Christ, we were created for community. We were created for connection. And so when we do these types of things, it's about helping us be formed and shaped further into the image of God. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to open up to the book of Genesis and I invite you to stand. We're gonna read Genesis chapter 12, or I'm gonna read Genesis chapter 12. Go ahead and stand. Again, one of the reasons we do this is just as a reminder that this is God's revelation to us. It's an opportunity for us to um, recognize what we are reading. We don't stand for every single uh, thing that's going to be, uh, we read or written. Like you don't pick up the newspaper and say, family, please stand for this, right? But when we read the word of God, there's something about reminding us what we're reading. And so our posture matters. Genesis chapter 12, starting at verse one, we read these words. The Lord had said to Abram, and if you're not familiar, Abram eventually becomes Abraham. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt." All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Lord, 
Help us to hear your voice today. God, reveal to us more of who you are. Reveal to us more of who you have called us to be. Form us, God. Deepen our roots in our faith in you and our trust in your promises and the hope that you the hope that you have offered us and your faithfulness to bring about that hope. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So you have Disneyland. I've had pretty good experiences there. I'm gonna knock this over, so I'm gonna move it back. You have Disneyland, I've had pretty good experiences there, but Disney World, for me, is where dreams go to die. I've been to Disney World many times and uh, I took my kids when they were young and I had these expectations and these dreams of what that, I mean, when you spend the type of money that it requires um, to go there. In fact, uh, Dana and I, uh, we learned a, a secret. You could go to some of the hotels around Florida and you could sit through a pitch um, about their hotel and how they wanted you to become some type of club member and then they would give you free tickets to Disneyland or Disney World. So um, we did that a lot. Uh, we would go sit for an hour or two hours and then we'd get our tickets and we'd head to Disney World um, because we were that poor. And, uh, and so we, uh, you know, but you do, you, it doesn't matter. Even if you get free tickets, you're gonna take out a small mortgage just to get food there. And uh, and so, you know, the, I remember one of the very first times that we went to Disney World, um, uh, Alexandra was, was young and she was kind of dressed in her princess, um, you know, her princess attire. And uh, we got early entry in because we had gone to one of these things and they gave us free tickets and then that gave us early entry into the park. And so, man, I'm thinking in my mind, all right, I know she wants to go to the, the princess show. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that as soon as we get in, we're going to go straight to where the castle is and they... We want to be at the very first princess show. We want the best seats or the best standing room because they don't give you seats there. Um, the best standing room. And so we go into uh, Disney World and I grab her by the hand and I take off and I go to the very front. Dana has the carts. Alexander was the only one that could kind of walk and, and kind of navigate pretty easily at that time. So Dana had the, the strollers and she stayed in the back. But Alexandra and I went up right up to the stage. I mean, the stage, I could stand up and the stage was like right at my forehead. We were so close to the princess. I was going to be the best dad ever. And we were there about 20 minutes early. And if you've never been to Florida, um, it's very humid. I mean, like, you think today's humid? Ain't nothing. And it was 95 degrees out and about 95% humidity. And there's a, like a concrete wall that's in front of me, which is radiating heat already at about you know, nine o'clock in the morning. And all of a sudden, there's a wall of people that starts to fill in behind me. And so here I am with my daughter and I begin to not just sweat a little bit, but at about nine o'clock in the morning, I am sweating through my clothes. Like my shorts, I could probably wring them out. My shirt is sweated through. I am absolutely miserable. And then the princesses come out. And Alexandra being shorter than me, we weren't back far enough to where she could really see. All she saw was a brick wall. So then I had to hold her sweaty body against my sweaty body. And I hadn't eaten breakfast yet. And if you know anything about myself, you know that David needs food. 
I get very hangry, and I also get hangry when I get hot. And so here I am at the most magical place in the world, supposedly, absolutely miserable. Because in my mind, I know what this moment should have looked like, and it doesn't look anything like it. And I imagine that you have things that go on in your life and you have relationships and you have things that you've participated in and you've had experiences that you've had that you had an image or you had a dream or you had an expectation or you had something in your mind of what something was going to look like and it didn't match that expectation. It was so far from that expectation. It didn't turn out like you thought it should have and all of a sudden the dreams that you had in that relationship, in that environment, for that job, for that location, for that house, all of a sudden, that's where those dreams went to die. And what's interesting is when when I share that story, we have a shared consciousness because almost every single one of us can point to an experience where at some level you have felt that. And when you read the book of Genesis from chapter one to chapter 11, we have a shared consciousness because we know what creation was designed to be. We know that God created it for good and we know he created us for relationship with him and relationship with one another. And we know that he created us to steward this creation and to be fruitful and multiply and there were gifts that were given. But we also know that it was completely wrecked when we desired our will over and above God's will. And so not only do we have a shared consciousness about the goodness of the garden, we have a shared consciousness about how sin spiraled things out of control. And we have a shared consciousness about shattered expectations because every single one of us has likely known somebody who died way too early. Every single one of us knows somebody who, um, instead of following after Jesus, even if they had known the truth, and even if you've shared the gospel with them, they chose their sin, their addiction, their heartbreak over and above the ways of God. And so we live with this sense that this is not what it's supposed to be like, and we live with this sense of shattered expectations and shattered dreams, specifically in three distinct areas. The first area is the area of just the world in general. When you look around, and we even prayed into this this morning, you realize that in this world there is sin and there is destruction, and we step back and say, man, isn't there something that somebody can do about this? Why is this world like, why is there war? Why is there terrorism? Why is there disease? Why, God? Why is there Why is my work not loyal to me? Like I put my heart, my energy into it and then they just kind of push me by the wayside. Why do I start out in an industry and I have passion but then that passion goes by the wayside and all I feel like I'm doing is working for a paycheck and I have no purpose and I'm miserable. Why? And so we have shattered expectations and shattered dreams about the world around us. We have shattered expectations and shattered dreams about relationships. Because most of us can point to a friend who betrayed us. Some of us can point to a spouse who betrayed us. Some of us can point to parents who were supposed to be parents, but they were not parents. They were abusive and they were hurtful. And 
and we find ourselves going, this is not the way these relationships should be. They're supposed to be life-giving. They're supposed to be encouraging. They're supposed to be supportive. We're supposed to value one another. And yet for many of us, we know the feeling of isolation and we know the feeling of rejection and we know the feeling of gossip. And it hurts. And then our own spiritual journey and our relationship with God. The sin in our life that we keep circling back to, the things that we have in our life that we keep going back to again and again and again and again and we don't know why we keep going back to them when we know how destructive they actually are. I mean, there's this inner sense that we believe that we can overcome through the power of the gospel and through the power of the spirit that we can overcome the sin in our life and yet we still struggle and even if we're not active in our sin, there's still the temptation that feels like that thorn in our side. So what do we do? I think the reaction is, this isn't what was supposed to happen. I also think we get this very real sense, if we reflect long enough, that I'm messed up, that you're messed up, that we all just are messed up. And even though we have this picture of what the world can be and could look like and should have looked like, it doesn't look promising in our current context. And so when you're reading Genesis chapter three to Genesis chapter 11, the question that should resonate in our heart and mind is one that you might ask yourself often, which is simply this, what is God going to do about it? Sin is real. Disease is real. Brokenness is real. Failure is real. The mess is real. What is God going to do about it? And if you are anything like me, what you want, quick fix, right? Like, my kids play video games. I'm really bad at video games. Like when I play video games with them, especially those like, you know, shooting games and stuff, I'm the one that's in the corner spinning around like this with my gun up in the air. Like I don't do video games well. But one of the things that's kind of interesting about video games is um, many times like, you know, you, you get shot and you have this ability to like have this like special potion or special like healing medic box that all of a sudden you take and you get all better. And, and I think that's what we want. Like we want to go to sleep at night and when we wake up in the morning, there's like this medic box that's just sitting on our counter. And all of a sudden, we get to touch that, and it's like a healing balm. And my relationships are better, and the world is better, and there is no disease. And all of a sudden, everything is just good. The problem is, the Old Testament doesn't tell that story. And if we ground ourselves in understanding this world and ground ourselves in understanding reality and ground ourselves in understanding what God is doing in this world, we don't get to that point. What we get to is a story that is a very long journey. What we get to is that God is looking for someone to help him reboot all of his creation, to enliven it once again. 
And he chooses this man, Abram, or later we find him to be Abraham, to leave his country, everything that he had ever known, all of his wealth, everything that was comfortable for him, and go to a new land which God was going to share with him. Now again, maybe you've never had this. Maybe you grew up on the Central Coast and you you know, grew up here, lived here, and still live here, and that is awesome and it's good. But I had this type of existential crisis. When I moved from the Midwest to the Central Coast, I was reminded that the Hutzkos had always been Midwest people. And I was literally going to change the trajectory of the Hutzko line because in my family, I am the only Hutzko boy. And so the Hutzko name would not, never uh, from this point forward necessarily, I mean, again, my kids could move back uh, to the Midwest for sure. But in my mind, it was like I was taking the Hutzko name from the Midwest to the West Coast. And there was kind of this existential crisis that I experienced going, wow, like I'm making this decision. Like, like I'm the one that's taking this and, and this is happening. And it was like a really weird place for me to be. And so when I read the story of Abraham, I'm thinking he is leaving behind everything that he's ever known and all the comfort of the wealth that his family and the generations of his family have built up. And he is moving to a land and going to have to trust in God to fulfill his promises. Just a brief, you know, cursory look of the promises that are made in that text are this, that he will, that God will make Abraham a great nation, that he will bless him and make him famous, that he will give him land, that he will be a blessing to others, that he will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt, that he will bless all the families of the earth through you. Now, if you have that as a promise and you believe it's going to happen, you might think, hey, it's a little bit easier to pack your bags and to go there. But if you keep reading on in the, in, in, uh, in this particular chapter, what, this is what you begin to discover. That it says that he makes him a, that he will make him a great nation. And yet one of the very first experiences he has is that, is that, is that there is a famine. How can you be a great nation when there's no food? Ain't nobody happy to you in that nation, right? And so one of the very first things that happens is that he experiences a famine and says, I will bless you and make you famous. I will bless you with a family and make you famous. Problem is, Abraham is 75 years old. Ain't nobody want a little baby at 75 years old. Now, I get it, I get it. I'm being facetious because yes, there was a strong desire that he had, but there, there not only was no kids in his family, but there was no kind of thinking that they could have kids. I mean, they, they had tried. They, there, there wasn't any uh, multiplication happening in his family. The promise was that I will give you land, and yet he's living as a foreigner in Egypt. God, Aren't these promises from you? He says, you will be a blessing to others. Abraham sells his wife to other men, not once, twice. My wife would not be okay with that. <laughs> I don't think that's quite the you know, a blessing, like, hey, I'm gonna bless you, wife. I'm gonna sell you to somebody else. Give you to somebody else. 
And so you're reading this text and you're saying, God, like you have these promises, you have what you said you're going to do, and yet things don't feel like they're tracking. I think it's important to understand two terms in this passage as well. Bless and curse. Bless. Now, when I think of bless, I think of like somebody who like, um, uh, like somebody, uh, there's this, um, there's this uh, DuckTales, there's this cartoon called DuckTales, and DuckTales had this Uncle Scrooge. And at the beginning of the credits uh, of the show, Uncle Scrooge was like swimming through his money. When I think of blessing in my westernized mind, that's what I think of. That is not what blessing means in scripture. To bless is, expresses God's purpose to give his creatures all they need to fulfill the lives that he intended in his creation. All that we need to live out the lives that he intended for us in his creation. To curse is God's judgment on his creatures when they rebel against his purposes them. And so this isn't just about Abraham and his family having a ton of wealth. It's about them living into the purposes that God has for his creation. And when they do that, they will experience the blessing of this is how the world was supposed to be. This is what it was supposed to look like. This is how we were supposed to be in relationship with God and relationship with one another. And what happens throughout the Old Testament is that there is a story of formation into those types of people. But the problem is they didn't start there. Again, notice the word that I used. They are being formed into God's holy people, which means that that wasn't their beginning, beginning point. What God does is he, he chooses a particular person who has a particular family in a particular time in history in a particular fallen culture, what we talked about last week, the word fallen means a lesser state. So a culture that is a lesser state than what we find in Genesis chapter one and two. And so what happens is God chooses this family and chooses this person out of all the cultures and out of all the people group to be his representation. In fact, in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24, we're reminded that when, when, um, when Abraham leaves his land, that his family were pagan worshipers. They worshiped most likely the moon god. And so they were not a people who were worshiping Yahweh. They were a people that worshiped many gods, which means that there is a lot of formation that has to happen to shift you from being a pagan who worships many gods to worshiping Yahweh. There's, many, there's a lot of formation that happens for how we treat our neighbor and how we care for our neighbor. There's a lot, of, a lot of formation that has to happen for what sacrifice looks like. There's a lot of formation for what it means to be the people of God. And what's fascinating is that God is incredibly committed to Abraham and to this people. Which maybe begs a second question. Why is God so committed? Like when you read throughout the Old Testament, and one of the things that you should be asking yourself, how does this relate to these, this particular people group being shaped or formed into the image of God? And when they mess up, and they always do, when they mess up, and when they don't become or are not living into this reality of who they are as the people of God, why is God still committed to them? Why does he still lean in to this relationship when they're not leaning into the relationship. 
Well, the second important thing that you need to be aware of as you read throughout the Old Testament, and specifically the story of Israel, is this idea of covenant. Let me give you a definition of covenant. It'll be up on the screen. You can take pictures, or that might be easier than trying to write this down quickly. A covenant is a relationship between two partners who make, a binding, who make binding promises to each other and work together to reach a common goal. They're often, a com- co- they, they are, uh, like covenants are often uh, accompanied by oaths, signs, and ceremonies. There's four covenants that we learn about throughout the Old Testament. There's the Noah covenant, there's the Abraham covenant, there's the Mosaic covenant, and there's the Davidic or the King David covenant. All four of those covenants God makes with people groups or individuals, and he is faithful to his promises, but they are not faithful to their promises, which is really challenging. Notice what it didn't say. It didn't say God was going to have this transactional relationship or contractual relationship where if you hold up your end of the bargain, I will hold up my end of the bargain. That's different, and yet that's what we are most used to in our culture. When somebody does work on your house, when you're getting ready to purchase something very large, you have contracts and you have legal work and you try to make sure that your, their rights are protected and your rights are protected and everything is kosher and everything is good. And so the challenge for us many times is that we live in a world where the rhythm of our life, where the liturgy of our life are contracts and transactions. I mean, can you literally imagine going to um, get your cup of coffee and you pay them money and they say thank you but never give you a cup of coffee. Can you imagine going to purchase a new car and you sign over and you sign all the documents and you do all of that and then they never actually give you the car. You just paid $30,000 and got nothing. That doesn't make sense to us. Because we live in a world where the rhythm and our understanding of how relationships work are based on contracts and transactions. And so I give you something and you give me something. In fact, it's one of the things that as my kids have gotten older, I've had to learn even more about because like I will text my kids when they're away at school and I have to, in my mind, remind myself I have zero expectation that they're gonna text me back. Literally, that's what I have to do because otherwise it's transactional, right? It's just like I'm texting them and they're gonna text me back and that's gonna make me feel good. Nowhere is this maybe more profound than on social media. You don't post for yourself. You post for likes. You post so people say, wow, that was so witty. That was so smart. That was so funny. That was so good. Oh, your family's so beautiful. We are in a transactional, contractual society. So when we come to the Old Testament, and the Old Testament doesn't operate in transactions like this or contracts like this, but in covenant, it's really hard for us to understand. And yet what we read throughout the Old Testament is the extent at which God is willing to go in order to be faithful even when the people of Israel aren't. And it's mind-blowing. In fact... In the Old Testament, covenants look more like this. I will be faithful to my promises, this being God. God will be faithful to, my pro- to his promises and to you, even if and when you are not faithful to your promises to me. And that's what God does. 
throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. He continues to be faithful to his promises. His covenant to Israel, even when they are not faithful to him. Even so much. And again, there's foreshadowing of how this is going to play out because in Genesis chapter 15, there's a really weird scene that happens between God and Abraham. They actually, remember I said covenants have signs and symbols and ceremonies. They actually have a ceremony in Genesis chapter 15. And God instructs Abraham to go and to get a ram and to get a goat and to get several birds. And he doesn't split the birds in half, but he does split the, the, the ram and the, and the, uh, and the uh, lamb in half. Um, the goat, sorry, the ram and the goat in half. And this is how covenants were made split an animal in half and you would put the two halves of the animal on either side of kind of like a walkway, like a, a pathway between, right? And you would put those two animal carcasses that way and both people who were entering into this type of covenant would walk through the carcasses that were halved in peace and literally the, the, the words and the, and the thoughts that were going through this, their mind was, may my life become like these carcasses if I am not faithful to the promises that we have made. I wonder what that would look like if we did that at every marriage ceremony. <laughs> Split it, walk through, may my life be like this. Or Friendships. When you have deep friendships with somebody, you say, may my life be like this. I don't want to gossip. I don't want to do, may my life be ripped to pieces like this if I am not faithful to my promises. But here's what's crazy. At the latter end of chapter 15 in this story, God places Abraham in a trance and Abraham watches God walk through in between those carcasses, but Abraham never does it. He sees this flame essentially walking through the presence of God moving between these two carcasses. But Abraham doesn't walk through that. And it's crazy kind of foreshadowing, reminding us, Abraham and his family will never be able to be faithful to these promises, but God is always gonna be faithful. And it should, let, it should point us Towards not only is God going to be faithful to Abraham, but God will be faithful to the extent is he will wrap himself in wounded human flesh. And he will come and enter into time and history in the Messiah and King Jesus. And he will lay down his life for you and for me. And he will be raised from the dead all in order to move his promises forward. He is faithful to his promises even when we're not faithful to ours. And Jesus, as the true Israelite, affirms and fulfills all four of those covenants. He is the faithful Israelite in whom we place our trust and our faith in. So, a couple of closing thoughts. First one is this. It is good to sense deeply that this world and my life and my relationships are at some level messed up. It's actually good for us. 
it's good for us to look around and, and, and sense like, oh man, I'm messed up and you're messed up and we're all messed up because it points us towards a need for a savior. And so it's okay to wrestle with the weight of what it looks like to live in a world that is messed up. The second thing is, in a world that is messed up, in a world where we are increasingly sensing that we as the people of God are living in a, in a kind of exile, and I would encourage you to read the Old Testament and to discover more about what it looks like to be the people of God through the Old Testament exile. I think it can inform us and in what we're experiencing even now and in our world and what maybe we will continue to. You don't thrive in exile based on emotion and passion. And so what I think sometimes we have fallen into the grip of in the church in America is we go to church on Sunday for kind of a passion or a emotional shot in the arm that we're hoping, okay, God, this world's messed up, I'm messed up, we're messed up. And so God, would you just give me kind of like a little like Jesus Novocaine to help numb me from all the messed up stuff that's going on in this world. That is not a way to be the people of God. A people of God are, tr are not trying to numb themselves from the messiness of this world. The people of God look at the mess in their lives, in this world, and ground themselves in the hope that God is gonna continue to be faithful to his promises and faithful to what he's Said, and so we become a people of hope to the world, reminding them that the messiness of this world is not the period at the end of God's story. But if we don't know the story of God and haven't grounded ourselves in the story of God, then how can we communicate and bear witness to that? And so what I think we have that happens so often is we, we walk around and we, we aren't grounded in the story of God and we don't know the story of God and we don't remember his faithfulness in these kind of deep, rich, rooted ways. And all of a sudden, all we have is like, hey, um, come to church and you'll feel better. Read this passage and you'll feel better. You'll be inspired. God has something so much deeper and richer for us than that. And so we here at New Life have this deep conviction that God is faithful and that God is redeeming and restoring this world. And it's a slow, aching process. But we place our hope in Him. And so we talk sometimes about like, well, what do I do with this? How do I, like, how, what do I do? Do I just believe it? We encourage you on two things. One, if you don't do this regularly, regularly, if I can get that word out, read your Bible. Read the story of God. Read the Old Testament and begin looking for those glimpses of God's faithfulness. Begin looking for the fact that God continually moves his story forward. When the Israelites find themselves up against the Red Sea, what does God do? He makes a way forward for his people, for his promises, for, for God's plan of redemption and restoration to continue to move forward. When Goliath stands up against the people of Israel, what happens? God moves his story 
forward. When we read about the prophets in Israel, there's just a remnant or a small group of people who are still trusting in the promises of God. And it seems like they're going to get snuffed out. What does God do? He moves his story forward. And so we ground ourselves in the biblical narrative that reminds us that even when things look glim, even when things Look like, God, where are you in all of this? God is a God who is faithful and always moves his redemptive creation story forward. So you might be looking around at even our culture and saying, God, we are messed up. And my calling to you is that God is looking for a remnant of people who ground themselves in his story and are arrested by the hope that he offers to stand in the gap and say, there is a story that I anchor myself in, myself in that reminds me that God is not done and he will continue to redeem his creation and he is faithful to his promises. So I know it sounds very Sunday schooly. Read your Bible. Maybe stop reading the news sources and anchor yourselves in the narrative of God rather than the narratives given by this world because they will give you a narrative towards their particular savior. But God will give you a narrative and ground you in the hope that we can only have in Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Quiet your hearts. Lord, we just simply say, speak for your servants are listening. God, we wanna be formed by you. God, we, we repent when we choose to trust in the things of this world or allow circumstances or the messiness of this world to become the dominant narrative in our life or the thing that brings worry or contempt or anger upon us that leads us to maybe try to chase after other saviors other than Jesus. So God, will you teach us how to be your faithful people? Will you teach us how to Give witness to the fact that, God, you are a faithful God who is faithful to his promises and faithful to redeeming all of creation. God, will you form us into a people that is a witness to the truth of your promises, to the truth of your restoration of this world, to the truth that Jesus is King we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? As you leave today, may you know this, that God is faithful to his promises and faithful to restoring all of creation, even when you and I are not faithful. And we ask, as you go today, may you go in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Grace and peace to you. We'll see you next week.